Good Saturday morning to you. Andy is taking the day off today, and look who's here. I was going to say an old friend of mine, but let's say a longtime friend of mine, Barry Strands, is uh, helping us out today. Uh, Barry, good morning. Nice to hear you again. Well, I, I thought it was going to be nice to hear you again. Are, are you there, Barry? Okay, then. I know we're here. Where's Barry? Oh, why are we trying to hey, find Danny. Barry? Yes, there he is. Can you hear me okay? Yes, now I can. Wonderful. Heart, okay, good. You, you made my heart I don't know what questions I'm supposed Pitter-pat? You thought I wasn't there, yeah. Yeah, my heart went pitter-pat just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Good. All right, well, now that we got connected, let's uh, let's invite our listeners to to ask their questions. Any kind of a home improvement question for Barry, uh, 651-461-9226. It's called Let's Stump Barry This Hour. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Uh, You know, Barry, we, we have, the last time you and I talked, I can't even remember because it had to be, pre-COVID, and yeah. back in the studio, which was quite some time ago. And for those, yeah, and, and, you know, right. since then, you know, we've acquired a lot of new listeners, fortunately, and they don't know who Barry Strands is. Now, many people do, but for those that don't know, let's, let's, uh, let's kind of do what we did a few years ago. Let's give you a background, because you've been around sure. a little while here in the business. What, tell everybody what, uh, what your background is and what you're doing then and what? now. Sure. Well, my background is I was one of those kids who needed a job, and my grandpa called me up and offered me one, and I thought, sure, I'll be a carpenter. It pays money. And stayed in the business and worked um, new construction framing, new construction finished carpentry, moved into remodeling. And uh, about the time I moved into remodeling, I got the phone call to see if I wanted to teach real estate agents about construction. Never done that before, but thought it would be a worthy risk. And so I jumped in and few years later, I began to teach contractors, worked for a couple of, of fairly large companies here in the Twin Cities, teaching contractor education, realtor education, appraisal education, and then I got involved in the building code and teaching the building code and uh, stayed in the business as a remodeler and then became a consultant and uh, moved into a site supervisor position for a multi-million dollar company on Lake Minnetonka in that area and worked on some very elaborate homes. Had a wonderful experience there, and I'm still very good friends with the owner of that company. But then left that about four years ago, and I have spent the last three years working for a place in North Minneapolis called Summit Academy OIC, where I'm teaching uh, construction, framing, finished carpentry to uh, kids and uh, older than kids, but uh, these are uh, post-high school and in their 20s, 30s. I've got a student in my class right now who's 62. So we're teaching them the basics so that they can better their lives and get a job in the construction trades. And I'm having an absolute blast doing that. I still teach for a company that trains contractors, and I'm loving doing that. And we're getting new opportunities. Life is good. Oh, and Denny, I have more grandkids. You have. More. I guess I'm not surprised. <laughs> now, how many how yeah. many grandchildren do you have now, Barry? I'm up to thirteen now. My goodness! Wow. And three in the last three months. So we have lots of little babies hanging around our house, and well, we're having a, you, we're just having a riot. 
I, I guess you are. Some of your family lived out of town, but are most uh, here in what we lovingly call CCO land, I presume? Yes. Yep. Uh, nine of my 11 are here in town, which is wonderful. Oh, the holidays must be great. Crazy, wonderful, exciting. Well, I have one daughter who came in uh, last week to spend the week, and we had a little accident, and I had to replace a toilet when I came home from work last week. So um, I'm glad that this is in my wheelhouse, and for your listeners, um, we we can talk about anything that matters to them today. But I've replaced two toilets in the last two weeks, one for a plumbing problem and one for a a child problem, and uh, all of it's good. But I teach well, building code and work as a consultant to the code into the industry. So anything you want to ask, let's see if we can solve some problems for you today. I was yes, indeed, and uh, Barry's right. Uh, whatever, uh, whatever kind of home improvement question you may have, six five one four six one nine two two six. Please take advantage of J- Barry's expertise uh, this morning. Six five one four six one nine two two six. I'm pleased to hear that that uh, you are teaching. A group of uh, well, young kids and even sixty-year-old kids, uh, th- these trades because boy, that is really needed, is it not? Still, well, particularly in the framing side of things, uh, the actual—I mean, it's hard labor to get out there and actually use your body in the physicality of your yeah. of your skill set. And we're trying to take people whose you know worldview perhaps is different and who have lived um, maybe in the shadows in a lot of areas in their lives and we're wanting to draw them into the light as it were, give them skills so they can move into the union and begin a career as a carpenter, as a laborer, uh, as an electrician. Um, And we're just excited to see people's lives being changed by gaining enough skill to start a career and not simply, you know, working retail or working, you know, selling something to somebody you know, they're actually getting a chance to develop a skill that's changing the way they see themselves and the way they see their opportunity, you know, selling something to somebody, you know, they're actually getting a chance to develop a skill that's changing the way they see themselves and the way they see their opportunities in the world. It's just phenomenal. And like you said, it makes you feel pretty good too, doesn't it? Well, Danny, it's just amazing. You feel like you're investing your life rather than spending your life. And I'm not sure. I think you understand what I mean by that, but we're actually giving something to someone that they can grow with that. So they're actually, it's like putting fertilizer on a plant, you know, or watering a plant. It's like you can, you can uh, absorb water for yourself, but when you begin to give it away, you begin to find that, oh, the world around me is getting lush and green. This is a marvelous way to give your life back. I guess. Good for you. Uh, I tell you what, I know we, I know we need to take a break. Uh, let's uh, do that. We're already getting some questions. If you want to call in your question or text, whatever is easier, it's just one number to remember, 651-461-9226. Barry is filling in for Andy today here on the Home Improvement Show. Right now in the Twin Cities, we moved up to, uh, well, one more degree, 65 degrees right now on our way to near 80. Here on News Talk 830, this is WCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show. We're around every Saturday here in the 9 o'clock hour. Thanks to our friends at Lindus Construction, L-I-N-D-U-S. You want to get in touch? 844-9-LINDUS is the uh, new number to uh, remember. 844-9-LINDUS. This morning, filling in for Andy Lindus is our friend Barry Strands answering your uh, home improvement question. 
I'm hearing funny noises in the background, and I'm not sure why. I'm solving that right now, my oh, computer. Oh, oh, your computer, okay. Uh, yeah, there's a line open. If you want to fill it, uh, we're going to get to Mary here in a second, but here is the number either to call or to text Barry, and we have uh, both, 651-461-9226. All right, let's uh, grab a phone call from Mary, who's calling in, I believe, from Crystal this morning. Mary, you are on CCO with Barry. Hi. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I have actually a question about concrete. Um, We're looking to do a smaller, maybe... 16 by 16 patio in our backyard and we're discussing whether it would be just a poured concrete or a stamped concrete and wondering as far as maintenance and longevity if you have a a thought on what would be better as we're looking I'm not sure oh would you repeat that uh, Mary oh she's gone all right. Well, she's uh, the question. I guess you got the question, Barry. Pretty much, did you not? I did oh, not, Danny. My my phone oh. just dropped the call, and I called right back in. Sorry about oh, that. Okay. Uh, Mary was asking about a concrete patio uh, in a backyard uh, or a stamped uh, uh, concrete. I mean, do you have any preferences as far as maintenance goes on uh, on that? Well, it's a good question because when you stamp concrete your surface texture and your colors are oftentimes cast onto the raw concrete surface. So you can get your concrete that's mixed at color and you can deliver it that way, or you can have the concrete coloring agents cast onto the concrete while it's wet. The difference is if there's a chip or if there's damage or spalling the concrete, one way the concrete color comes all the way through and the other way the concrete color is only on the surface. I think from a maintenance standpoint, uh, making sure that you seal the concrete immediately after it's installed. Normally, they want you to wait 24 hours for a cure time. But then an effective sealer, really a good idea. And then to keep a sealer coat on that, maybe every other year, not a good, not a bad idea, particularly with stamped or covered concrete. Keep it sealed up, and that's going to help you maintain its durability over time. Barry, I know we get over the years uh, questions about uh, concrete floors, garage floors, particularly that uh, that have uh, spalling, these pop-outs. What, what causes sure. those pop-outs? Well, if you go to the concrete um, organizational networks, you'll see that there's typically four or five major causes for spalling in concrete. And surprisingly, one of them is that the mixture itself is overworked upon application. And what they'll do sometimes is they will take too many passes for the floating of the concrete and they will lose cream over the top. Rocks come to the surface and there's not a good bonding agent above the concrete surface. So the the granular material, the actual uh, concrete, the stone in it doesn't stay deep enough into the concrete surface. That's clearly one of the things that takes place. And then any exterior concrete exposed to weather We know that when we put salt into our driveways to cleanse the surface of ice and those fabrics of ice, we wind up with some additional likelihood of spalling in those cases as well. So noting that keeping it sealed from the time that you you install it, that's going to help. And then be careful about the use of salt on concrete. There are some de-icing agents that don't have the same tendency to damage concrete, and those are always preferred for freshly uh, poured concrete. 
And in each case, we would prefer to see that. I remember getting uh, a text message from a, a, a concrete worker who had been in the business 30 plus years uh, saying at least his opinion, no, yeah. no sodium, use no and not any yeah. kind of assault on uh, concrete. We, we had, no I was on a project, Denny, where the, uh, the homeowner salted the brand new stone steps on a multi-million dollar house on Natanka and the homeowner's maintenance person used salt and we came back the next year and of course there was degradation in the mortar joints and the homeowner thought that our company had done a bad job of installing the stone and so we simply point blank asked and said we don't see this kind of mortar damage unless salt was applied to the concrete did you apply salt and he said, well, I'll check with my maintenance guy. The maintenance guy said, yes, of course I did, so that you could walk down the steps and not hurt yourself. And then we pointed to the contract that said, if you put salt on your steps, the warranty on your installation is void. <laughs> and that's the thing to keep in mind. There are a number of contractors now who are becoming wise enough to the problem of salt that they're ready to get into their contract that if you use it, there's no warranty on the work. All right, very good. Uh, back to the phones we go, Barry. I think Jim is calling in from Rush City this morning. Jim, thank you. What's your question for Barry? Yeah, hi, uh, Barry. Um, I'm. You were talking about. Oh, hello, hello. It's me, Dennis. It just cut off again. It's like a button's being pushed. Oh, I'm just okay. being disconnected. Well, we hear you, Barry, just fine. Uh, okay, good. Jim, Jim, are you there still in Rush City? Now he's gone. <laughs> We've got some gremlins in the system. Yes. Well, we do have text messages as well. Yeah, Jim, you can call back anytime. And, and in fact, if you prefer to call, uh, 651-461-9226. Oh, good. Uh, Jim is back, Rush City. Uh, Jim, uh, thank you for getting back to us. What What is your question now? Okay, Barry, um, you were talking about replacing some toilets. I wanna, I'm thinking about replacing an old toilet uh, that's got the... Uh, large amount of water and I'm wondering if I'd be better off just buying a whole new toilet or putting in one of those kits with the one gallon flush and then will my plumbing be okay to handle that? Yeah, good question, Jim. I, I've done the exact same thing. I bought the handles that change the volume and they can work. I find that my tank back has to be set up correctly. I've had a couple of flushing hassles with that. So I've changed out a number of those low flush dual flush systems. And then finally, when one of them broke, I got a brand new uh, Kohler and I found myself just thrilled because it's designed to be a low flush toilet. And it was $129 complete kit. And I, I will not regret it. I'm certain of it. So if it's an older toilet, the toilets don't go bad. It's typically the flushing mechanism. It's the seal in the tank that, that tends to fail. And we can replace all of those parts. But I was thrilled to get this brand new one designed to be a low flush. And I think I think at some point that's probably not a bad way to spend 150 bucks. <laughs> I'm just looking at a text, Barry, a tongue-in-cheek uh, text from a listener who was talking about our earlier introduction about toilets and your construction background said, uh, hammers and toilets, however, do not go together. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, you, right. you, never, you don't want to drop it, uh, anything hard on a porcelain surface and have it explode, especially when you no longer have a – I didn't have a quarter-turn valve 
all the new valves are quarter turn and they're wonderful. And I had a standard old style valve and I couldn't get it to close down. I had to turn the whole water supply of the house off. Not, not oh, my yeah. ideal moment when I came home from work. Yeah, I tell you what, I love those uh, new on uh, one of my uh, sinks. Uh, I, I uh, we do have that uh, quarter turn that uh, the valve. That really is slick. Like that. Like that yeah. a lot. All right. I'll well, tell you the what. shark bite fittings are making it easy to be a plumber now these days. I'm not saying anyone can be a plumber, but shark bite fittings are amazing. Outstanding. All right, hang on, Barry. We've got about another half hour of the show to go, and we invite our listeners to call in or text in your home. Any kind of a home improvement question. I'm expecting maybe uh, a question about codes because I know Barry is uh, pretty much aware of uh, of those around me. I want to ask him a question about that myself. But if you uh, hang on, we're going to have a look at that forecast and have uh, more show, more home improvement show. Barry's in for Andy, 651-461-9226. In the Twin Cities, 65 degrees, weather straight ahead here on 830. This is WCCO. Temperature reading 65 degrees. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our home improvement show, Linda's Construction Hour, every Saturday in the 9 o'clock hour. Andy is taking the day off today. Barry Strands is filling in for Andy, welcoming your phone calls or your text messages, whichever is easier. Uh, relying on 651-461-9226 to get that uh, question answered. Uh, Barry, we do have callers, and we do have texters to keep you busy here. So let's uh, sure. let's get back to it. Uh, Al is first up here calling, I believe, from Apple Valley. Al, thank you for waiting. What is your question for Barry? Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, so on the outside corner of my garage where the foundation meets the asphalt of the driveway, the foundation is cracked. It's a block. It's broken. Uh, and there's like a little sinkhole uh, right where the asphalt meets that broken block. Uh, how can I, uh, what should I use to fill that? Is there a concrete product I should use or fill it with dirt or what should I do there? Um, the challenge is that the apron where the asphalt sits and the concrete, which is on a footing, down to frost depth, there's, there's a challenge in that soil right there. The concrete block probably is only a stress crack, and I would seal that with a Vulcan sealant. The area around that asphalt, I would get a dense gravel. We would call it Class 5, and I think you can buy a, a packable sand from a home improvement center, and I would use that, and then I would seal that space so that more moisture can't get in there. When water gets in, it erodes the soil in that location, creating uh, the lack of soil so that we don't have support, and we typically see some sagging or settling in that driveway area at that point. So I'd seal the concrete. Uh, Vulcan sealant is my first choice. It's a polyurethane-based. And then I would pack sand or gravel sand mixture right up against that asphalt uh, concrete space. I was looking at a text, Barry, because uh, you had mentioned uh, you're, uh, you're dealing with code. Now, I know you, you – do you still teach uh, that to various folks? Oh, yeah. yeah. I still – you know, maybe six or eight times a year is all in Minnesota. But uh, it's something that I'm still working with. And you know, we just got a new code in 2020. Kind of escaped everybody's notice when COVID came through. But we're under a new building code. The energy code didn't change. So we're still under the 2015 energy code. But 
we do have a new building code in Minnesota with some modifications, particularly in the area of our decks. So as usual, you're constantly learning. <laughs> Absolutely. And I love learning. I don't know why anyone would stop learning. It's a, it's a good thing. Is there a code uh, as far as the use? I'm looking at a text, uh, Barry, uh, using galvanized nails and treated lumber. Oh, yeah, that's a code violation, actually. Uh, mm. There are three different types of nails that are allowed for treated lumber, and galvanized are no longer among them. So the standard nails, cement-coated sinkers, we call them, um, you have to have a hot-dip, uh, double-dip galvanized, and it has to meet a specific standard. So I want to I be clear. There is a galvanized-coated nail that does qualify for treated lumber, but there's also a galvanized-coated uh, nail that does not qualify for treated lumber and you need to make sure you've got the statement on the box of nails that you purchase um, based on the code requirement which i don't have that one memorized but i can look it up if someone's interested but yes you can't use standard nails in treated lumber and a lot of contractors don't know that so they're framing a house and when they get to the foundation they've got a piece of treated lumber right above the foundation called the the sill plate and that mm-hmm. sill plate cannot be nailed into with a standard framing gun nail. It actually has to be a properly chemically treated nail. So many contractors are moving over into stainless steel to avoid all those problems as well. But those are very spendy. Uh, makes sense, though. Um, yeah. I'm look, uh, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's grab another phone call. I'll go to Prescott, Wisconsin sure. this morning. I think Boyd has uh, been waiting there. Boyd, thank you. What is your question for Barry? Yeah, Barry, I'm wondering, do you uh, have any experience with uh, concrete resurfacing concrete driveways? Is it expensive to have done, and does it pay to do it? Or It's about a 30-year-old concrete driveway. Yeah, I've had feedback in classes about resurfacing concrete, and it depends on how the condition. Most of your concrete professionals would say, uh, break it up, get a jackhammer, get it out of there, and re-pour. That's what most will tell you. But the real question is, what is the condition of the existing product? And if there's major spalling, if salt has gotten to this, and it's, well, some people will call it salt is the cancer for concrete. If that's taking place and it's in, it's in really rough sub-shape, if the base is in rough shape, uh, then you don't want to try to touch it. But you can grind that surface off and put a top coat on, and there are a number of products out there. But I haven't seen anything that makes sense from a DIY perspective. In my mind, that's still going to be the purview of a professional. And most of the epoxy coatings are designed for only interior use, not for exterior. And as a result, you've got to bite the bullet on that one. In most cases, from what I've seen, I would say it's a new, it's a new driveway. Most of the ones I've seen. I don't know yours, of course, but most yeah. are that way makes sense would a concrete uh, professional would they give you a, uh, a good uh and you know direct you either yeah. way whether they would do it or not do it well if you remember if, if a concrete professional resurfaces concrete they'll tell you that you should resurface if the concrete professional doesn't resurface concrete they'll <laughs> tell you you should replace so That's the vested right. interest is going to be based on what that company does that's why getting a couple of estimates from companies that advertise that they resurface plus those that pour new i think is a wise way to go keep in mind most of the folks in the trades right now are wall-to-wall busy and getting someone to come out and look at a project uh, that becomes one of the biggest battlefields that we're seeing in the industry today boy that's true 
All right. Good luck, boy. Appreciate the call. Uh, let's uh, Before we break, let's uh, talk to Andy. Andy's calling in, I believe, from Vadnais Heights uh, this morning. Uh, Andy, uh, thanks for your call. What's your question for Barry? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on this morning. I do have a code question, please. Um, let's see, about, I think it was in 91 or so, my parents had an addition put on their house. And it's, it's up on six by six posts. And the point where the joist rests on the post, what needs to happen there? Because what the contractor at the time did, he just kind of married them up with, uh, put a gusset place on to help fasten those in place. Well, we're getting ready to sell the house here pretty soon, and I don't think that's going to work. What can I do to make that safe and legal, I guess? Sure. Well, keep in mind, Andy, that code is applicable only for work done when that code or for the the code that was in place when the work was done. So in 91, we did not have the same metal anchor requirements that we have today. And to to, uh, transact the property, you don't need to bring that house up to current code. So you might look at that and go, it needs something, and then you certainly could do that. But you would have to look – I'd have to go back into my archives of code to see what was in place in 91. But I don't think – I don't think there's a violation on what you've got. But a post cap is what's typically used now. So over the top of a post – four by four, six by six, depending, but if it's a six by six post, you drop a cap on there. And it's as simple as actually getting a little jack, getting some padding lumber, lifting that uh, space up. You have to pull the gusset off and then seating that. You're actually going to slide the post cap on the six by six, and then you can tie that back into the joist above it. And it's actually a fairly straightforward process if you've got some carpentry background and if you have the right tools. But other than that, um, in fact, I would bet if you went online, you could find a YouTube video that told you how to do that, to add a post cap where there wasn't one. And I think you'd probably find someone who's uh, showing you how to do that. Now, it wouldn't be a big deal to do, Andy. All right, very good. Uh, I'm getting a signal here, uh, Barry. We need to take a quick break. We have more show to come. Sure. We have uh, some text messages we want to uh, get answered here. If you have one, call it in or text it in 651 461 on our home improvement show, 65 degrees in the Twin Cities, on our way to 80. Stay with us here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to the remaining minutes of our home improvement show, brought to us by Linda's Construction, L-I-N-D-U-S. Andy's taking the day off today, and in his place is our friend Barry Strands answering your home improvement type of questions. Uh, and, Barry, we do have uh, some text messages. Let's see how many we can uh, get answered before uh, we have to take our leave today. Uh, here's one. It says, if I install a floating deck over a concrete slab, do I need to attach the sleepers to the cement? Should the sleepers sit on PVC spaces to prevent uh, water rot? Thanks so much. Well, I think there's two different opinions on attaching the sleepers. It certainly would make an easier installation. What are uh, sleepers? Not moving around. What, what are Basically, sleepers? you're talking about a two-by-four treated piece of lumber that you would lay flat on the concrete surface. Uh, attaching the joist directly to concrete is always problematic. So sleepers 
are pieces of wood that would go underneath the joists. They would get drilled tap cons. Tap cons are a type of fastener into concrete. They would get attached. You, you could also simply glue those, and then you don't put a hole in the concrete, and you could use a construction adhesive that would uh, handle the same kind of process. Uh, but what you're then giving yourself is a wooden sub-base before you put your deck joists on that concrete surface. So I, I personally don't think the slab is floating, and as long as the slab is floating, the whole thing's moving. I don't know that I would – I mean, if, if it were me, I'd tap kind of down. It'd be easier to work on. And that way, if your concrete's got any undulation, you can see that, you can shim it, you can get those sleepers flat so that you're working off of a surface that's actually level when you start. And to me, that would be the better way to go. But there's no building code that would address that. The, any deck structure that's small enough and away from the house, not attached to the house, gets some, um, some gratis code uh, allowances that make it much easier to install. Here's a deck I, question. I attach, personally. Okay. Uh, this uh, deck question is, uh, we replaced our deck with yellow pine in July. What should we put on it and when? Well, there was a theory for a long time that if you if you waited, if any of the machine oils would be off of the lumber. But the industry has come out and said as soon as you get a surface uh, installed, degradation of any wood material that's not chemically treated begins immediately, which means we need to get a finished coat on that. And to answer the question, either a penetrating stain like a sickens, which is a fine product and uh, their second Cetal 123 is j- absolutely the coolest thing I've ever seen in terms of the way it uh, seals up wood. And I just did a yellow pine tiny house, and I used that process, and we used a uh, teak color, and it came out fabulous. I was just so thrilled with it. But the stuff is expensive. You know, so you're, you're looking at, I think we paid um, like $400 for three gallons of material. Not cheap, but it was fabulous. And you got to go to the Sickens website, look at CETL, C-E-T-O-L, and they have a what's called a one, two, three process. There's a, a base coat, and they give you a base coat, single coat, full coverage, and then two top coats of a different product that are designed to bond to the base. But when we were done, it was like having a a hardened colored plastic surface that had bonded into the wood fiber itself. And it, it, I was just stunned at how cool it looked. And we sprayed it with the hose. It's like, you can't kill this stuff. This isn't going to flake off. It was amazing. I was really delighted. Wow. That's the first I've heard. I've heard of Sickens, but the, the, not this product. I wonder how it will wear over the years. I, I can I tell you that I know a guy who's been building with this material for seven years. He swears by it. He said, I, we've never had anybody call back and complain within seven years, which is remarkable in and of yeah. itself. Yes, in this area, sure. Yep. All right. Here's another one. Uh, insurance adjuster gave us an amount for hail damage. When the contractor looked at the house, his estimate was more than double. The contractor claims that insurance will increase to his amount. Do you think that's true? Okay, so this is a deep question, and I don't want to give a flippant answer. But generally, when an adjuster comes out, they tend to lowball, hoping the homeowner will take that number. The contractor looks through a different lens, and the contractor 
understands that the adjuster is using the same software program, but they're looking at the same software program through, through a contractor's point of view versus an adjuster's point of view. So I would, I would argue that in most cases, contractors who deal with hail damage on a regular basis do get the insurance adjuster's number to come up to their costs. I would say that the contractor's not pulling the wool over this homeowner's eyes, that that is the likeliest scenario but I would, I, I would qualify that contractor by looking at their website, finding out how many jobs they've done. Are they Minnesota-based? Uh, do they do primarily insurance work? All of those would be questions that I would be asking to qualify. You don't want to fly by night who's going to ruin your world. But in most cases, yes, uh, the contractor who's familiar with the industry understands these kinds of issues will get the amount that they need because they're seeing – work that the adjuster missed. Oh, okay. Very good. Good answer. This listener wants to know, Barry, what's the best way to get moss off a steel granular shingle roof? Well, any of the organics, um, the challenge is, is to know that if there's, how much volume do we have? If we have a large volume of moss, then the recommendation is a really light power wash, but getting access, is it a walkable roof? Is, what's its pitch? How high up off the ground are we? All of these are questions that would qualify my answer. I certainly don't want some homeowner to climb up there with a power wash and spray moss off their roof. But after that, there are products that are designed to leach a chemical uh, that creates a galvanic reaction, and they release a chemical that kills the moss or the algae on the roof surface. One, one brand is called Moss Boss, and it is a metal product that goes underneath the cap shingle on any roof, and when water hits it, it releases an agent that essentially destroys the algae and, and beautifies the roof. It's very, very cool as a technology. And it's been out for quite some time. And if you've ever seen an old galvanic uh, cover, a cap for a plumbing pipe or something like that, and a roof that was put on, let's say, in the 60s, and you'll look at the streak underneath and you go, oh, that looks so clean underneath that metal cap. I wonder what happened there. Well, the galvanic reaction with the water is releasing an agent that kills the algae. And so this is a product that you can put on the cap of your house, and it does the exact same thing to the entire roof surface. But it will be a hard thing to get large volumes of moss off if we don't remove that first. We've got less than a minute to go, Barry, and it's great to, to work with you to once again. If folks, if they this one quick question, we don't have time to really answer it, but it's about an electrical transformer on a pole outside a bedroom, and they want to talk to someone about code to determine the, the distance from that to the home. Who do they, can they check? Where, where can they check on codes for an electrical transformer distance from the home? Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry, mndli.com. And you can go to their website, look at the electrical page on it, get some information there. Right now, all electrical inspections are being done by state anyway. So you would want to talk to somebody there to get clarification. They are the answer people because they are the ones who are writing the rules. All right. Good deal. Barry, I hope we get another chance to work again. Always a pleasure. Always fun. Oh, I'd sure like that. Yes, Danny. Thank you. You're such an amazing host. I really appreciate you. 
Enjoy those new grandkids, doggone it. Going to do we'll, it. Uh, who knows, by the time we talk again, you may have two more. We'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, hope to, we'll hope to talk to Barry again in the near future. Thanks so much, Barry Strands, filling in for Andy Lindis today. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO, Denny Long. Thanks for listening.